Greetings and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place or Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Gray Bass Knight. Now, Gray is a return guest to the show, one of the rarities uh, that we sometimes have. Uh, he was here to talk about Flight of the Fox his first time around, and here he's uh, on this episode to talk about the follow-up, Madness of the Q. I was fortunate enough to read an advanced copy of this and give him some feedback, uh, and I really enjoyed it for a variety of reasons, some of which will uh, come out in our discussion. Uh, but before we get to that, I need to let you know that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. If that's how you like your mysteries, then you can go to downandoutbooks.com to find out more. That's downandoutbooks, all spelled out, dot com. Down and Out Books, take the journey with us. Now, uh, let's talk to Gray Bass Knight, who, like I said, is here to talk about his follow-up to Flight of the Fox, The Madness of the Cube. Well, hey, great. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Frank. It's good to be here. Uh, so I should say welcome back to the show. You are the author of a couple of books in a series starring Samuel Teagarden, uh, the first of which you were on the show uh, last year to talk about, um, uh, and the second of which you're, you're here now to, to discuss. Uh, the Madness of the Q is the new one. That's right. Madness of the Q is the sequel to uh, Flight of the Fox featuring a decryption expert and Columbia University mathematics professor Sam Teagarden. And uh, the first one was a domestically based thriller, a run for your life thriller, where Sam Teagarden had to race from upstate New York all the way down the East Coast to Key West, Florida. And um, at the end, he was pronounced the American Prometheus because what he had to discover actually changed the course of American history or how we understood American history to be what we thought it was. And now in this sequel, Madness of the Q, he is drawn into another run for your life scenario where he's actually uh, sent to Europe. It starts in northern Israel and from there it goes to Venice and Rome and finally to Berlin, Germany, where he uh, finds himself pitted against dark forces. On the one hand, a group of atheists, a cult group, and very deadly. And on the other hand, the, the Vatican. That's definitely two ends of a spectrum. It is. And it's rooted in the fact that um, the Q document, which uh, is a document that's actually theorized to actually non-fictionally exist, it's called the Quell document, Q-U-E-L-L-E, -L -L -E, or Quella document, which is a theory that there is a missing source out there for much of the New Testament. And a German theological biblical scholar coined the concept, and many people, both of faith-based scholars and secular-based scholars, agree with the idea that this Q. Quella document exists. Um, but it's never been found and never been proven. It's only a theory. But in my novel, when I first heard about this thing, I said, wow, that's the, uh, that's the plot for a terrific thriller. So uh, I had the Q document actually be discovered in the ruins of an ancient church in northern Israel. And uh, lo and behold, madness and chaos ensued. And uh, in there steps the stately, intelligent uh, Mr. Sam Teagarden, who, by the way, knows nothing about firearms and nothing about karate and his only weapon is his brain. He is definitely not a Jason Bourne clone by any stretch, although he does share a little bit of, uh, of Indiana Jones-style uh, academia. Uh, he's much more of an academic, of course. 
Yes, he is. And um, it's all very intentional. I wanted an everyman hero who um, cries when he gets upset and uh, panics when he get, has his life threatened and any number of other things. But with courage and tenacity and intelligence, he can pull through a series of crises, uh, which is what he did in Florida the Fox. And it's um, really what he does in Madness of the Q. By the way, the, uh, the title, Madness of the Q, is a compendium of two concepts. The Q is, of course, based upon the Quella document. Madness, the word madness in this case, comes from an 1841 nonfiction book called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by a man named Charles McKay. And it was a bestseller in the 1840s. And it was about um, incidents in history where um, crowds of people literally or even figuratively lost their mind over various situations. And he uh, writes about in these incidents, one of which is the tulip craze that took place in the Netherlands where the price of tulips soared to the point where they burst and everybody lost their money in the Great Depression. Um, another subject, of course, is the witch hunting. And uh, he, he spends most of his time on that, that chapter um, witch hunts in Europe where hundreds of women were literally burned to death. So Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds was a perfect uh, marriage for the title here, Madness of the Q, because Sam T. Gordon is pursuing it because of uh, what they think the discovered Quella document is all about. Well, you and I talked about uh, this a little bit on your last visit to the show, uh, but you know, I'm 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 big into history. I love history. It was my undergraduate degree, and and you've written historical novels uh, in addition to uh, the Sam T. Garden books, and so I think it's fascinating that the the Q document, you know, has its basis in uh, in history, at least theoretical history, and. And that, uh, you know, religious scholars, they point to uh, similarities between certain of the uh, of the Gospels uh, having, you know, having a common source. That's really kind of where they were, were, were at its basic level where this idea for the Q document comes from. So you're drawing on on real history to create this, you know, alternate today or actually this is set very shortly in the future, if I remember right. Yes, sir. In the year 2025. Uh, so it's a little bit of an alternate future sort of thing, but also uh, you're 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 delving into you know the, the truth of our past, um, and then you're also delving into I wouldn't say religious politics, but kind of, uh, and the idea that people, you know, that religion is such a core part of who they are that they can they can act so radically, and then fusing it with this you know psychology of crowds. Um, you know, you've really kind of, you've got a, a quite an interesting stew here. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's absolutely what I intended to do. It's not pro-religion. It's not anti-religion. It's just an exploration of how um, religious strife may possibly come to the West as it did um, and has been and continues to be in the Middle East and the Near East. Um, as you know, Frank, I used to work in broadcast news. Um, I was in it for numerous decades. And I couldn't guess at how many stories I wrote about the thus and so bombs and attacks and shootings in um, Iraq and Syria and Iran and Lebanon and, and on and on and on. 
but it's it's largely isolated to Islam, of course. And if that sort of thing were to happen in the West, what could possibly stimulate it? So it was a an imaginative feat, not very difficult leap of imagination to uh, have this Aquila document be discovered and then instill uh, great conflict in uh, the Western world, in this case, Europe, and to some degree, the United States. But most of the setting is actually in Europe. It's interesting to me because, you know, there, despite there being so much literature and so much nonfiction uh, work available about religion and specifically the uh, the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's based on, you know, rather fragmentary, you know, historical documents. I mean, there's a lot that's missing, I guess, from the historical record and a lot that goes under examined by the public at large. And so it, it's it's just it's fascinating to me that this discovery that you posit in this book, it's not unbelievable at all that if it were a complete document, they could actually be contrary uh, in its contents to some of the things that are are currently accepted as doctrine by some faiths. And that certainly would just, you know, have a, it would shake some faiths to their very foundation. And how would they react to that? Uh, you're absolutely right. And that was the, the, the spark, the inspiration for the novel, which was what would happen if the document were discovered and it did challenge the fundamental tenets of uh, the Western world and in general and Christianity and how society has been formed based on Christianity. My, my original inspiration to, to address the whole idea of the queue was when I first learned about it and I had never heard of it. I was listening with my wife to a, um, a course on tape, great courses, I think it's called. And we were listening to the history of the New Testament as told from a historical point of view rather than from a faith-based point of view. And it was one of the most enlightening things I've ever heard, having been raised in uh, the tenets of a Protestant church in the South. And uh, and when he got around to mentioning the Q document, the professor, it was just a parenthetical mention and I had never heard of it. So it sent me racing to look it up. And being a mystery writer or a struggling, aspiring uh, thriller writer, it just struck me immediately. This, this is perfect material for an exploration of what-if scenario that combines both history with um, the idea of a contemporary run-for-your-life thriller. If the, if the Q document really were to be discovered, and if it really did challenge fundamental tenets of Christianity in some way, it wouldn't surprise me at all if there were uh, this sort of conflict among different groups. In this case, um, in the fictional analysis of Madness of the Q, the novel, it's, it's a fictional group of atheists who want the document to challenge fundamental tenets. And of course, the Vatican, which does not want the actual release of the document to be made public because it does challenge fundamental tenets. And that's what sets up the conflict that ultimately results in a great deal of bloodshed and madness among many crowds across the Western world. Yeah, I mean, thrillers are supposed to be about big stakes, and I don't know that, you know, short of the destruction of the world, perhaps, I don't know that there could be any bigger stakes than, <laughs> than you know, the fundamental beliefs of all these people being challenged, potentially. It reminds me of, um, there was a film a few years ago, it might even be a decade or more, that it's, uh, I can't remember who the female lead was, I'm pretty sure the male lead was uh, Antonio Banderas. And it, it was, uh, they thought that they discovered the tomb of Jesus. Are you, do you remember that movie? 
No, but I'm going to have to check this out. This wasn't a movie called Last Days or something, was it? No, that was another one. Uh, no, I think it was called The Body. Um, and uh, I mean, it could have been even longer. It could have been like 20 years ago. It's been a while. But I remember when I saw it, 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 it was interesting to me because when they were uh, looking at the size of the skeleton, the Banderas character, who was a, a Jesuit priest that the Vatican had, had appointed to look into this mystery, he was making comparisons to the size of the skeleton and the shroud of Turin. And that created some conflict between him and the female lead, who was more of a, uh, an archaeologist and, you know, a scientist. Right. I'm going to have to check this out, the Antonio Banderas movie. Yeah, it all revolved around the idea that, you know, that, that we have these deep-seated beliefs, whatever they may be, you know, religious or otherwise, and that anything that upsets that foundation, you know, rocks it, uh, you know, can have some pretty serious effects on uh, on society as a whole. Right, right. So will uh, Sam Teagarden have another adventure uh, after The Madness of the Q? That's up in the air, Frank. It's not impossible, though. If you have any suggestions, let me know. Or if listeners of your podcast have any suggestions, please have them email me, raybassnight at gmail.com, or you know, just go to my website at graybassnight.com. Uh, but any number of things could happen, and it could go any number of ways. Somehow I'm seeing, if it happens, I'm seeing Sam Teagarden somewhere in the Caribbean or in Central America. So maybe we'll find something, some reason to send him down there. Maybe you should watch some episodes of Ancient Aliens for some ideas. It's funny you should say that. That's, I didn't want to say anything, but that's exactly the way I'm going. You know, it's been about two years now, but um, the United, I think it was the United States Air Force actually had a program to research these rather mysterious objects that propel through the sky without any visible means of, um, of uh, motorized movement. Um, if, if you recall what I'm saying, and there's audio of um, Air Force pilots actually saying, what is that thing? How is it doing that? How is it moving and stopping and, and going vertically and horizontally without any obvious uh, cause of movement? And I don't know what happened to that phenomenon. Maybe the Air Force is still working on it, but they didn't have actual video. They had radar and, and uh, some other high-tech means of uh, measuring it so you can actually see this rather meteorite looking object moving through the sky stopping and then beginning moving again do you recall this uh vaguely vaguely but i will say that you know along with religion whether or not there is intelligent life not of earth and whether that potential intelligent life has had contact with earth that's a pretty high stakes thing to discover one way or the other. It might be worth exploring, you know, it's not a bad idea. Um, uh, on the subject though of um, history and um, um, the end of days, um, I can relate a very brief story that um, was total serendipity as a writer. You may have had these moments as a writer yourself. I was working on the part where Sam Teagarden is in Northern Israel at a place called Megiddo. And out of nowhere, I just started looking up the history of Megiddo, and I found that it was previously known, I believe it was in ancient Greek, previously known as and called Armageddon. And then when I read that, I thought, holy, holy crap, you know, I'm, 
I don't know what it is that made me put Sam Teagarden in Megiddo, but Megiddo is the site of the biblical Armageddon. So something told me, well, I'm doing something right here. So it's one of those serendipity moments. They're a lot of fun when that happens. Well, um, I've read the book. I read both of the books, actually. And Sam Teagarden is an everyman, as you described. It is fun to root for him and uh, easy to do so. And, and, I, and I like how he has to resolve situations in ways uh, using his head more so than technology or brawn. Uh, and I enjoyed it in Flight of the Fox, and you've accomplished it again in Madness of the Q. Um, that is out now from Down and Out Books. Uh, the author is a Gray Bass Knight. And uh, thanks again for, for coming back on the show, Gray. Thank you very much for that, Frank. And, and I thank you for inviting me back on your podcast. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And um, I hope to see you at future BoucherCon conventions for mystery writers. And do keep writing, because I really enjoyed uh, your latest Code 4. Oh, you're very kind. Um, and I hope to see you, too. Well, there you are, folks. Uh, a little bit more from Gray Bass Knight and his book. Uh, the one thing we didn't talk about that we did talk about in his first appearance last year was um, that Samuel Teagarden uses his skills as a cryptologist to to break a lot of uh, codes and, and, and so forth. Uh, in that first book. And uh, that happens again here in the second book. It's pretty fascinating. If you like uh, cryptology at all, that's one more reason uh, to pick up this book. I thought it was fascinating because if, if the premise were to actually occur, uh, no matter what the result was, a lot of people would lose their collective minds because <laughs> because uh, there's some pretty uh, starkly drawn lines belief-wise when it comes to religion, uh, or lack thereof. So uh, it's a good read, and I encourage you to pick it up. And uh, it's Madness of the Q by Gray Bass Knight. Next episode, we will hear from one of my blogging partners at Criminal Minds, Susan C. Shea. A little uh, Frank Zafiro news for you. A couple of days ago, Code 4 hit the shelves, the final installment of the Charlie 316 saga. Uh, hope you guys pick it up and give it a read. I'm pretty proud of the entire four-book arc and the work that I did with Colin Conway. And um, it comes to what I think is a very satisfying and realistic conclusion with a lot of action uh, along the way to get us there. Uh, that is out now from Down and Out Books. I want to thank uh, Gray for coming on the show and uh, Down Out Books for being a great sponsor. And of course, to you, the listener, uh, if you're listening to this uh, the day it comes out, well, then I hope you have a happy American Thanksgiving tomorrow and enjoy the four-day weekend. And we will be back next week with Susan Shea. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime. <laughs>